Today's scripture reading is John 10, 22 through 42. At the time the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem, it was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, You are gods. If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming, because I said, I am the Son of God. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Again they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Well, as Christians, uh, we like, and at least you should, you should like truth and appreciate truth. But just as important as uh, truth is, uh, are the implications of that truth. The implications of something being true are just as important. We believe that gravity is true. That truth is important, but so are the implications of that truth. That means that you just can't walk off a 10-story building and expect to fly, right? What goes up? must come down. Gravity is true. There are implications to that truth. Uh, it is true that fire is hot. The implication, if I touch that fire, I will get burned. We love truth, but also the implications of that truth are important. They are not inconsequential. Well, John has well established a, a very significant and important truth in the first nine chapters of his gospel. And that truth is that Jesus is God in the flesh. He has established that. He made clear, made that clear in the opening verses of his account when he said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John in his account has also recorded it, recorded for us instances where Jesus clearly articulated his deity to the religious leaders. The truth of Jesus' divinity has clearly been established. But this 
truth, this is a truth that has implications. And believe you me, these implications are far from being inconsequential. Listen, our belief and the truth that is grounded in Scripture, that Jesus is God in the flesh, is no throwaway truth for us as Christians. It's not a truth that you can just, oh, okay, yeah. No, no, that is a significant truth. This truth is everything. If you do not believe that the man we call Jesus who walked upon this earth some 2,000 years ago, if you do not believe he is God, then can I say it plainly, then you are not a Christian. Uh, yeah, it's that serious. Now, now it's important that I make this clarification. I do not mean to imply that this is uh, an add-on to the gospel. That in order to be saved, listen, in order to be saved, the only requirement that is needed is that you repent of your sins and believe on Jesus. If it was never explained to you that Jesus is God or, or you die not fully understanding the deity of Jesus, well, then heaven awaits you. However, if you claim to be a Christian and categorically deny the deity of Christ, well then, I don't know what Jesus you are claiming to follow because it is not the Jesus of the Bible. You see, this is one of the essential beliefs of faithful Orthodox Christianity. It is a truth that unites us. It is what separates us from the JWs, from the Mormons, and from the Muslims. All those religions believe that Jesus existed. They can't deny the fact that Jesus walked upon this earth. But they emphatically deny that he was God, the, the, sec, the eternal second person of the Trinity. They just, they just can't vibe with that truth. And therefore, we can't vibe with them because we believe, and the Bible confirms, Jesus is God. That's truth. But that is a truth with implications, with implications. That is what we will explore in our text this morning. What does it mean for Jesus to be God, and why is that so important? So John moves the narrative along in our text uh, by giving us some details. Jesus is at the Feast of Dedication. It, it, it was not a, it's not a, a historical feast in terms of a feast that Israel celebrated in the Old Testament. It happened in the intertestamental period and what has come to be known as Hanukkah these days, the Festival of Lights. So Jesus is at the Festival of Dedication walking and teaching in Solomon's colonnade. But as we have just discussed before, we've said it, Jesus is difficult. He was difficult to perceive. He was difficult to understand. He made some significant claims, and people struggled to understand Jesus. There was great confusion and debate uh, regarding his teachings and his claims. And of utmost controversy was his claim to be God. And debate 
swirled around whether or not he was the Messiah. And so as Jesus is walking in Solomon's colonnade, walking around, teaching, no doubt, they press him, the religious Jews, the religious, religious leaders press him again. And they, they, they ask him in, in, in John 10, 24, how long will you keep us in suspense, Jesus? If you are the Christ, just tell us plainly. Give it to us plain. Make it plain for us, Jesus. They want an answer. They need clarity. Here's the deal, though. Jesus had been clear regarding who he was and what he had come to do. Look at how he answers them in verse 25. I told you, and you do not believe. He said, I already told you, and yet you still do not believe. And listen, Jesus did not owe these religious leaders another explanation, nor was he required to entertain their ongoing questions. He, he had already told them. And their lack of belief in what he had already told them exposed the blindness of their hearts. Now, now, to get, cut them some slack, it, it was true that Jesus had not outright told the Jews that he was the Messiah. But he had demonstrated it by his works, by what he was doing. They certainly were without excuse. But Jesus, again, not requiring to give these religious leaders an answer regarding them pressing him on who he was, he was just, he was full of grace. And he was always giving the unbelieving an opportunity to repent. Oh, perhaps you're here this morning and, and, and you've, you've not yet trusted Jesus. Listen, see this as God's grace and mercy to you as another opportunity to repent and believe in Jesus. And so he, he tells them again. And not only was he going to confirm that he was the Messiah, he was going to again lay claim to his deity, that he is God. And in Jesus restating and confirming that he was God to them, we learn the implications of what it means for Jesus to be God. And here is what we learn. We learn because Jesus is God, his sheep are saved and secure. His sheep are saved and secure. Put it another way, the only reason you are saved and the only reason you can be assured of that salvation is because Jesus is God. Listen to what Jesus says in John 10, 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. These verses are the foundation of his point. If you are a Christian this morning, you are saved and secure, again, because Jesus is God. 
Let's, let's take verse 30 because that is Jesus. Let's look at that verse first because that is Jesus confirming for them once again his deity. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Now, this is a variation of what Jesus has said before in the past. This is not anything new that he has said. It's like what he said in John 8 and verse 19. They said to them, therefore, where is your father? The religious leaders asked him. Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Or what he said in John 5 and 16. My father is working until now, and I am working. Very similar statements. These statements by Jesus speak to the shared will, but more importantly, the, sheer, uh, the, the shared essence of God the Father and God the Son. Now, note, these statements are not referring to Jesus and the Father being the same person, because they are not. God the Father and God the Son are distinct, but they are of one essence. This is what we affirm in the Trinity. God is three in person, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but one in essence. One God, three persons. That's what we believe as Christians. So, when Jesus says that he and the Father are one, he is saying that he and the Father do not differ in mission, they don't differ in power, they don't differ in desire, goals, authority, character, nor being. They are united, equal, one in essence. Oh, if you've seen me, he says, then you have seen the Father. He is making it clear as the writer to the Hebrews did in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, he, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That is the truth. That is the undeniable truth that Scripture proclaims for us. And therefore, because Jesus is God, we are saved and secure. Brothers and sisters, we are saved. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. When Emmanuel, which means God with us, was born in Bethlehem, he came with the purpose of saving his people, his sheep, from their sins and, and, and granting them eternal life. Just as he had, had affirmed, he affirmed that mission earlier on in John chapter 10 in verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, speaking about why he had come. God was coming to do what Adam couldn't do, what Moses tried and failed to do, what Abraham, Isaac, nor David could ever do, and that is to save God's sheep from their sin. No 
mere man would be able to accomplish that. So God came himself in the person of Jesus. Because why? Why? Because as Jonah 2 and 9 tells us, salvation belongs to the Lord. It belongs to him. Brothers and sisters, salvation, you do understand, is the prerogative of God. And all throughout the Old Testament, we see that theme playing out. It is God who saves. The Lord redeems. Yahweh grants eternal life. And what does Jesus say? My sheep hear my voice. They follow me, and I give them eternal life. He can say that. He can declare that. He can grant that. Because he's God. And the prerogative of God is salvation of his people. You remember what Jesus told the paralytic man in John chapter 2? You remember the story where they, they took off the roof and they lowered the man, his friends, they lowered him in to see Jesus? And Jesus, before healing the man, he heals the man, but he says, your sins are forgiven. And do you remember how the religious leaders responded to Jesus? They said, no one can forgive sins except God. They had never spoken a more truer statement in all of their life because they understood that only God can forgive sins and there was Jesus exercising the prerogative of God. As with the forgiving of sin, so it is with eternal life. He can. He can give that. He can say that because he is God. Oh, Jesus saves his sheep. His sheep. Jesus saves his sheep. His sheep. As we explored a little bit last week, this speaks to the particularity of Jesus' sacrifice. He doesn't grant eternal life to everyone, but only to those whom the Father has given him and therefore hear his voice. Jesus knows his sheep and his sheep know him. Those are the ones that are granted salvation. And this is the intimate language, this is intimate language expressed here, highlighting, highlighting the character of God. And this is the intimate language that Paul uses in Romans 8, 29 through 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And when you, when you hear that foreknew, think of an intimate knowledge, a, a love, a knowing everything about you in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Oh, this is the particularity of God's love. Oh, brothers and sisters, the implications of Jesus being God is that you are saved by God and saved for God. It is his prerogative to grant to you eternal Life and only He can grant it. And here is the wonderful part if God saves you, that means that He is going to keep you, that He is going to keep you. You are secure. 
Verse 28, no one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. The, the comforting implication of Jesus being God is that you are being kept by God. You belong to him. It is his keeping power keeping you. Oh, we must re return to Romans 8 again to help us grasp this truth because this is what Paul gets at at the end of that, that glorious chapter. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor power nor heights nor depth nor if he, and if he forgot anything nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, the security of our salvation is according to the prerogative of God. He makes the promise to keep us, and only he can fulfill that promise. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That's important to understand. Because if, if I or, or you promise to hold someone or something... That person or thing is only as secure as my ability or their ability or their power is to hold them. And all human beings have a limited amount of power and or ability, but not God. He is all-powerful, which means there is nothing powerful enough to snatch you from his hand. Nothing. I know... Some people like to refute the idea of eternal security by saying, oh, yes, nobody has the ability to snatch me out of the hand of God, but, but I can choose to walk out of the hand of God. <laughs> oh, okay. So I realized when I was thinking about this that the, the, that the person that came up with that argument didn't have children. Okay? When our, when our children were small, right, when, that, when our children were small, there were times, right, where you're holding them back from some type of danger, some, something that's going to harm them. Now, they want to get out. They, 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 so they start wiggling, and they, they start trying to pull away from you, and, and, and who do you think won the battle, right? You're going to keep them. You're, you're going to hold on to me. You're gonna, I'm going to hold on to you. You're not going to be able to, to escape. Now, are you going to tell me that the God of the universe, who, who holds and sustains all things by the power of his word, that he is going to let those whom he calls his sheep, he's just going to let you walk right out of his hand? Come on. That doesn't make any sense. Oh, God is all-powerful because, you see, it's not about your grip on him. It's about his grip on you. <laughs> holding on to you, Lord, but you're holding on to me. Oh, this is a wonderful truth to grasp. He is, listen, he is all-knowing. 
all-knowing. That means he knows all things, which means there is no one that is going to bring something to his attention. Nothing is going to bring something to his attention that says, oh, 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 I just learned of that about you. No, he's all-knowing. He's all-knowing. He knows the sin that you've committed. He knows those things that you hide from everybody else. You think you're hiding them, but he knows. And if he has saved you, he's not letting you go. He is, he is provider, which means he has every resource at his disposal to get you home. He's not lacking anything. Oh, ask Jonah. <laughs> he's not lacking anything. Well, people, I mean, he's not lacking anything. You see, brothers and sisters, it is God. It is God who keeps you. And that is what Jesus says. John 10 and 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one, no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. And Jesus says, I and the father are one. We are one. You do see the implications of Jesus being God. They are not at all insignificant. Ah, which leads us to our second, second implication. Since Jesus is God, not if, not if, because he is. Since Jesus is God, you have to decide what you're going to do with Jesus. You have to decide what you're going to do with him. Indifference is not an option. You can either choose to reject him and to choose, or you can believe on him. We see both these responses in the remainder of our text. The Jews response to Jesus' claim to be Messiah and that he is equal with God is the same response that they continue to have, that they, they keep on having, right? They, they think Jesus is, is being blasphemous in this claim, and so they pick up stones to try to stone him. Those who reject the claims of Jesus, you do understand they do so to their own peril and they demonstrate the foolishness of their unbelief by their response. Just like how the blind man in John 9 exposed the religious leaders' folly by reminding them that if that them, it was they who said that, that God doesn't listen to sinners, Remember what they said? They said, well, God doesn't listen to sinners, yet Jesus opened up his eyes, something that only one sent from God couldn't do. And instead of responding and agreeing with this blind man, what they wanted to do was put Jesus to death. And so Jesus calls out their foolishness again in this encounter. He calls it out again. He says in John 10, 37 through 38, if I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I am, but if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. At least believe the works. That I, okay, okay, if you don't believe the claims, at least believe the works that I do. And if, and if you believe the works, then you will start reasoning and rationalizing and recognizing that only, only God can do these things. Listen, the works of Jesus. The works of Jesus cannot be denied. 
They can't be denied. You can't just explain them away. This is what Jesus is saying. How do you explain blind men and women seeing? How do you explain that? How do you explain a paralytic just getting up and walking? How do you explain lost men and women heading in a direction away from God, hating God, and now the recipients of eternal life and delighting in the commands of God? How many people who knew you before Christ would be shocked to see you raising your hand this morning in worship, this morning and praising the God who created you? They'd be shocked. It's the work of God, though. Only God can do it. You see, Jesus is the issue. He, he, he's the one. He's the dividing line. You have to do something with Jesus. You have to do something with his works. For when he shows up, people's lives are changed. Situations are changed. And if those religious leaders, if those Jews had really taken the time to examine the works and to contemplate what Jesus was saying and all that he was doing, they would have seen that this was the one that was sent from God. This was the Messiah. It, it had to have been. They, they would have at least perceived this was no mere man. Like the blind man in John 9. You remember he at first didn't know who Jesus was. But he knew that he was no ordinary man because only, only men sent from God can heal blind eyes. Or think about the disciples. When Jesus calmed the wind and the waves, they were left amazed. What manner of man is this that he can, that he can, that he can, he can, Control the, the wind and, and, and the sea? Or how about that woman at the well? This man, this man told me everything about me. He knew everything about me. What was her question? Can this be, could this be the Christ? Oh, if they, if they would just, if, if they would have just examined the works, they would just have believed the works. The Jews' hearts were hardened. They could not hear or understand because they were not his sheep. Isn't that what Jesus said earlier? John 10, 25 through 26, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but here's the indictment, but you do not believe because you are not among my Jesus is the issue. Because your response to him separates true sheep from false sheep. That is how you know. That is how you know who are the sheep, true sheep and who are the false sheep. Are you following Jesus? Or do you hear his voice? If you hear his voice, then you will uh, follow him. The question for us this morning is do you Believe. Do you believe? And if you believe, then are you following Jesus? True sheep believe and follow Jesus. So listen. Don't, don't get discouraged. Don't, don't get discouraged 
And it is hard, it's hard, but don't get discouraged when people don't believe. When, when family members, when close friends, when loved ones don't believe, don't, 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 don't get discouraged. Because Jesus has sheep that will, that will respond. There are sheep that will respond. They will hear and they will follow Jesus. That's what he said in verse 16 of John chapter 10. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Jesus has sheep that will listen when he calls. Those are the ones, those are the ones who will believe. After escaping from those religious leaders that sought to kill Jesus, picking up stones because they thought he was blaspheming, Jesus returns back across the, the Jordan, John records for us, and he says these words. John says in verse 41, and many came to him came to Jesus. Many came to him, and they said, John, speaking of John the Baptist, did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. Everything God said about this man, Jesus, was true. Truth with implications. That meant Jesus was going to save somebody. They recognized the truth, and they recognized there were implications. True sheep believe and follow because Jesus knows his sheep, and they know him. Many, many, it says, believed on Jesus because they heard his voice, and they responded to him. You do understand that Jesus is still calling sheep today. Have you heard his voice? Have you heard his voice? Jesus is still saving and securing his sheep. He is the, the good shepherd. And, and, and he's the issue. You have to decide. You have to decide, are you going to follow Jesus or are you going to reject him? Are you going to hear his voice or are you going to reject it? My prayer our prayer this morning is that you won't leave here not hearing the voice of Jesus, that you would trust in him for the salvation of your sins because Jesus saves and secures. Oh, that is the implication of the truth that Jesus is God, the one we worship. Let's pray.